Um, so tonight we're thinking about Pentecost, and this is kind of a pre-Pentecost um, text before the Spirit came um, in Acts 2. But let's pray, shall we, as we come to look at the Scriptures. Father, we pray um, that the written word might lead us to Jesus, the one who is the living word, and we ask that in his name. Amen. Okay, here's a question for you. It's not rhetorical, so you can kind of answer. Um, but who is the most powerful person in the world at this time? Joe Biden. Joe Biden, that's one. Okay. Anyone else? Got any thoughts? In your world? <laughs> no, no, like in the world. Any others? Any others? Huh? Elon Musk, yeah? Jesus, yeah, oh, he's got to, I was going to say it's got to be real, but that's not what I mean. <laughs> what I mean is, it's got to be like, body, yeah, you know what I mean, but you're right, you're right, we get there, but yeah. Huh? Putin, okay. Any others? Who? Who? The Korean, oh, yeah, yeah, Kim Jong-un, uh, yeah, okay. Okay, well, let's, so basically, um, I, I Googled it to find out what the answer was. And uh, the Forbes Business Magazine, every year, they compile a list of, of who they consider to be the world's most powerful people. And, um, and the way they kind of do this list is based on factors such as wealth, how much money someone's got, um, their military and political strength, and also their influence over the way in which the world is run. So uh, I'm just going to read down the top 10. Uh, this was February 2022, so it may have changed already. Uh, but these are the world's most powerful people, counting down from 10. Uh, number 10 is Jerome Powell. Oh, Americans, you should know this, guys. Do you know who he is? No. Okay. Ah, Fed, Fed, yeah, that's it. So basically, he's the chair of the Federal Reserve. You all knew that, didn't you? Yeah, okay. Uh, number nine, I'm a bit disappointed you lot didn't know. You've come a long way. You could have told us the answer. But um, Number nine, uh, Narinda Modi, the Prime Minister of India. Uh, number eight is a guy that is known as MBS. It sounds like a disease, doesn't it? But, um, but it's, that's Mohammed bin Salman, who is one of the Saudi princes. Got a lot of money and a lot of influence. Number seven, an American... Bill Gates. I'm going to be picking on you lot a lot tonight, don't you know that? Uh, now, do you know what? He's, uh, he's, he's got $145.3 billion. That's quite a lot of money, isn't it? Number six, Pope Francis. None of you said that, obviously. Um, number five, have any of you heard of this little company called Amazon? Yeah, Jeff Bezos. So, um, number four, now this is, I think this could be a bit out of date, is actually Angela Merkel, but she's, she's no longer heading up the Democratic Party, though, is she now? But anyway, so we'll let that one go. Um, number three, John, who did you say? Joe Biden, well done. Uh, number two, and this chap has been knocked off his perch, is actually Vladimir Putin. Number one, anyone? Yeah. Well done, Robin. Xi Jinping. The, um, his, his official title is the General Secretary of the Communist Party in China. 
So you look at that, and there's not a Brit in sight. Where's Boris? Where, where, where's Keir Starmer? Where's, where's Peter Fairbrush, I ask you? Okay, uh, where's the Queen? I mean, she's riding a wave at the moment, isn't she? But, um, so in this list, the power is all about money or military or political strength or it's about influence. Interesting that Elon Musk wasn't there. I mean, we've got some Elon Musk fans here tonight. So I was interested that, um, uh, that he didn't get in that top 10, but obviously maybe next year. Uh, and basically, the power comes, like I say, in terms of um, military strength, influence, or money. Um, now, in the New Testament, there's also uh, interest in the question of power. And uh, the word power is often translated from the Greek word dynamis, which is where we get our word dynamite from. And uh, it occurs on multiple occasions, I think over 100 times in the whole of the New Testament. Uh, but it often occurs in reference to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in that text that James just read to us. It spoke about that in verse 8, talking about the power of the Spirit. The Gospel writer Luke, who wrote Luke's Gospel, but also wrote Acts, he uses this word dunamis uh, a number of times, 25 times actually, in his two books. But the word power, dunamis, that we read in the Scriptures has little to do with money or military strength or influence, but it's mainly to do with God breaking through into people's lives. Power in the New Testament is about heaven coming to earth. We've spoken about it before, it's about realized eschatology, about that which is to come, breaking through into this present moment. Power is the difference that only God can make. And uh, reference to power or dynamis, in some ways it's related to the prayer that Jesus taught us, uh, where he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So bring something of heaven, the power of heaven, into our present reality. And uh, power is in reference to the kingdom of God at work in the lives of individuals and families, communities, whole countries maybe. The word power um, is then kind of manifest or, or shows itself in different ways. It relates to miracles, such as those who are healed from sickness. It relates to the casting out of demons. And you find time and time again in, in the Gospels, it speaks about the power of God at work in someone's life. Power is used in reference also uh, to doing good, where basically acts of grace and extravagant generosity, undeserved kindness, kind of reveal who God truly is. Power is also related to speaking words, words that then with the power of the Holy Spirit, they enlighten hearts and minds, point people towards God. We were thinking this morning in the morning services about Acts 2 and about Peter's sermon. And it says in that text in Acts 2 that, that some of those who listened were cut to the heart. And many then turned to follow Christ. They repented and believed, and 3,000 were added to their number on that day. And, and power is about words that are given, but also word, not just like within a sermon context, but also words that may well be given to us that we might then speak to others. It's about helping us to be a credible witness to the love 
and the goodness of God. And so I think what you find in the New Testament is that the power of God is about words, works, and wonders. Do you see what I just did there? Three W's, wasn't that good? Uh, words, works, and wonders. It's about the difference that God can make in a person's life. And, and we find that time and time again in the New Testament, the power of God uh, that comes from the Spirit of God restores those who are broken, heals those who are sick, sets captives free. Within that, we find that the power of God brings assurance of God's forgiveness to those who are burdened by guilt and by shame. The power of God brings hope to those who find themselves in a place of despair. The power of God, in some ways, kind of helps to break those vicious cycles that people find themselves in and put people onto a new path. In the New Testament, the power of God, by the Holy Spirit, often births something new in the life of an individual or in the life of a community. The power of God brings about transformation. If you go back to the beginning of Luke's Gospel, to uh, one, chapter 135, and a uh, familiar story that we have read to us uh, at Christmas time. That's all mine, John. Leave it there. Um, in, uh, in Luke 135, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. It's a beautiful story. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And, and what we find there with Mary is that uh, as a result of the Holy Spirit coming to Mary and overshadowing her, we find the virgin birth. We find the birth of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit overshadows her and something miraculous takes place. And then you come to the end of Luke's Gospel and also in the beginning of Acts as well. And, and Luke actually uh, is quite clever in the way he writes, but he uses a similar phrase to that spoken to Mary by the angel Gabriel. And uh, he, he says something similar to the, about those early disciples, about the power of God, the Holy Spirit overshadowing them and bringing something new. And actually, if you then trace it all the way back to Genesis, there's that sense of connection there where the Spirit of God kind of hovered over the waters, and out of that brought heaven and earth. And so what we find, though, in Luke, both at the beginning and at the end, is that the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people. They're clothed with power from on high. With Mary, it's Jesus. With those disciples at the end of Luke, the beginning of Acts, it's the community of faith, the church. And I think what we find time and time again in the New Testament, is that when the power of God comes, when the Holy Spirit overshadows individuals and communities, something new is birthed. There's that sense where the old has gone and the new has come. So power in the New Testament has got nothing to do with money. And interestingly, some, there were some people, was it Simon the sorcerer? And, and he sees what the disciples are doing when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to buy what they've got, but it can't be bought. It's got nothing to do with political strength or influence, but it, it's about words, works, and wonders that birth something new. God seems to break through 
and bring transformation to lives and situations. And I would say that for myself, that in my many years of following Christ, that there have been times when it's almost like the power of God has been at work in a very powerful way. Something has been birthed and something has changed in my life, in the life of the church. I'm just thinking, actually, uh, about the power of God at work in our situation recently. Some of you know this time last year, uh, we we had a a youth pastor and a children's pastor, and and then David uh, stepped down from his role, and, and in time, Emma stepped down from her role. And, and like at those points, you think, it's a small island. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of people out there who might be able to take on these roles. And I still actually remember bumping into Abby in that field at Orbital. And, and you spoke to me about the job, didn't you? And, and you applied and we appointed you. And then the same for another Abby. And, uh, and, and, and then for James. And, and sometimes you see the power of God, but not just in a church situation, maybe in a work situation as well. Sometimes... Um, that the wonder is about God's provision in a time of need. I think sometimes that we can get a bit overtaken by, as it were, by miracles. And I do believe in miracles in the sense of dramatic things happening. But I think that we see miracles in all kinds of other ways. All kinds of other ways. I'm just thinking, just looking at you, Andrew, and, and Andrew works with ex-offenders, helping them get back into employment. And I'm sure that you've seen the power of God at work in that situation. Just thinking about what happens in Guernsey Welfare over the road where uh, we kind of, we encounter people who are in need and then we see the power of God just bring about transformation. And it, it, it might not seem like some great miracle in some ways, but actually it is the miracle of God at work in people's lives. The power of God brings about change. Um, a few years ago, my youngest son, Ben, um, who he was studying uh, in Newcastle, and uh, he was quite, um, how might you call it, laid back, forgetful. Anyway, um, not always paying attention. He was taking a night bus from Newcastle to London to see some friends, and the bus went at 20 past one in the morning. And Ben had a rucksack full of clothes. He put the bag down, and uh, Newcastle, it disappeared. Is anyone here from Newcastle? Oh, Brian! <laughs> oh, and Robin. There you go. And a couple of toe ranks. We know what you like. Anyway, um, but there was that sense where the old had gone. Now, thankfully, strangely enough, we have insurance that covers that kind of incident. So, so Ben, uh, even though he'd lost the old clothes, he was going to get some new ones to replace the old. The old has gone, the new will come. But actually, there are some elements there of what happened to Ben with his bag of clothes that kind of relate to us being uh, clothed with power from on high. The first, actually, is about the element of cost. Now, for Ben to get the insurance money to uh, pay for those replacement of stolen clothes, you have to pay an excess, don't you? 50 quid, Blumenek. So you pay the excess, and uh, and then, then you get the money. But for the new to come, there was a financial cost that was involved, and probably because he was a student, we paid for it. But there's also the cost of, of dealing with an insurance company. Who works with an insurance company here? Oh, that's good. Okay, I'll slate them. Um, but, um, but it's never straightforward, is it, in terms of forms and people to speak to and all that kind of stuff. It can be a real faff sometimes uh, to get the money back. Um, and I think that for us, and bear with me with this illustration, that for us to be clothed with power from on high, there is often, not always, but there is often a cost involved. 
whether it be suffering or trials, whether it be about being disciplined, whether it be about sacrifice, or even just kind of embarrassment at God at work in our lives. You know, in Luke's gospel, if you go back to Luke chapter 4, we read about the temptations of Jesus, and he, he goes into the desert, and Luke uh, writes that Jesus goes into the desert. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and in that desert place, he experiences trials and temptations. He experiences suffering and cost. But when he returns, in, in uh, Luke 4 verse 14, when he returns from the desert, he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit, and his ministry is birthed at that point. Jesus is full of the Spirit, but to get to that point, he goes through a desert experience, which is costly, but then the Spirit births something new in his life. It's been said that the way to Pentecost is always via the cross. If we want to know the power of the Holy Spirit, then we need to be prepared for maybe the pain that comes beforehand, because the way to Pentecost is always via the cross. Going back to Ben's stolen bag, the second element uh, that ties in with the power of the Holy Spirit is the element of waiting. Ben had to wait to get the money to buy the clothes that had been stolen. There's very little that you can do to speed the process up. Once the form is filled in, it's in the hands of the insurance company, and you have to wait. How might we know the power of the Spirit? What do we need to do? Well, the short answer is that we do nothing but watch and wait. Going back to that text in Acts chapter 1 in verse 4, the disciples were t told to go and wait. It says for a few days. A few days, in my mind, is three days. But they had to wait for how long? Ten. I'd have been going out of my mind. Three days, you said, Jesus, and we're still here. But actually, I think for us to be involved in the words, works, and wonders of God, then we have to learn to wait. Because at the end of the day, God's power is a sovereign act, and we simply wait. Some people, uh, preachers, will tell you about some keys to unlock the power some strategies that you can take. Yeah, I mean, there are some things that maybe you can do to put yourself in the right place. But actually, you have to wait. You have to wait because it's a gift. And in Luke's gospel, the book of Acts, the disciples are told they have to wait in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power from on high. And if we want to know the power of God in words, works, and wonders, then we must do nothing but wait. It's not about our effort. It's about God's grace. This um, sermon was called Row or Sail. And uh, if I'd got myself together, I would have put a couple of pictures up of a, of a rowing boat. Think about an eight, if you understand that, Oxford, Cambridge kind of stuff. And, uh, and then think about a sailing boat. Give me a name of a sailing boat, Brian. Popular one. Accelerator. Accelerator. Yeah, that's what you used to do to win. Yeah, that's... Uh, Anyway, so, so imagine you've got those two, but you've got an eight and you've got a sailing boat. And let me just explain um, why this illustration is kind of connected to Pentecost and waiting and being clothed with power from on high. Firstly, let's think about a rowing boat. Um, I'm not a rower, you can tell. 
but many years ago, when I was at university, I lived in the same house as a guy who was a row. He rowed in at eight. He was a big man, strong, fit, powerful, dead posh. He didn't just have a plum in his mouth. He had a whole bag. But, um, <laughs> but he rowed in an eight. And the speed of that boat relied almost entirely, not all of it, you might correct me because you know a rower, don't you? Um, but, but the speed of the boat uh, relied almost entirely on the strength and effort of the rowers. Rowing is almost all about the rower's strength and effort. Sailing, on the other hand, is something very different. I'm not a sailor, but it doesn't take a lot to work out that there's a different dynamic at work in sailing compared to rowing. And that dynamic is the speed and the direction of the wind. Now, of course, a sailor will still need to put in the hard work and commitment and discipline to sail well, but ultimately, the speed of the boat is determined by the speed and the direction of the wind. And whether the sailor can catch that wind effectively. Sailing is less about the sailor and more about the wind. Fair enough, Brian? Very good, thank you. <laughs> For us to know the Spirit of God and to be clothed with power from on high, we need to be more like sailors than rowers. We need to set our sails right so we might catch the wind but it's less about our effort and it's more about God. And that involves us watching and waiting and seeing what God by his spirit is doing and then joining in with it, whatever it might be. That means that we look for the way in which the spirit is at work in our family, the spirit is at work in our neighborhood, the spirit is at work in our workplace. If we want to know the power of God in our lives, the words, works, and wonders of God that transforms lives and brings heaven to earth, then we simply have to start by waiting and seeing where the wind is going. I was talking to Anna about this, and she said to me, but how long do we need to wait? And my answer was, I don't know. I don't know. But we're not rowers. We're sailors. Um, I know of two families um, trying to make their way to the island tonight. One is my, my uh, uh, some of you know Viv, and uh, she's, I think she's on her way back, and we're looking after her dog, and, um, <clears throat> and the other one is my son and his wife, Sophie, and our two grandsons, and, um, and one's getting a plane, the other one's getting a boat. Now, strangely enough, I, I've never heard of this before, but the plane has been cancelled, and the boat has been delayed. Never happens, does it, normally? <laughs> never happens in Guernsey. But, but, you know, those two facts, what can they do? They can't magic up a plane or a boat and hope to get there sooner. What do they do? They wait. They wait. And so do we need to wait. Let God move and see what he will do. We're not rowers, but sailors. And we need to position ourselves to catch the wind, as it were. But at the end of the day, it's God's sovereign work. Just uh, coming to a close, reflecting on... Uh, this sermon, I was reminded of, of one of the founders of Methodism, John Wesley, who remained an Anglican, um, and, uh, and what happened to him. And I was just reading about his experience in a place called Aldersgate in London, and uh, he went to 
uh, a meeting in London. This is on the May the 24th, 1738, 284 years ago. It's a long time. And he wrote this in his journal. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society. It's like a prayer meeting in Aldersgate, Aldersgate Street in London, where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. Sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it, really? About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And, and actually a few days before that, his brother Charles had a similar kind of experience whilst he was lying sick in bed. And, and actually before that, both of them had been on a really difficult journey to the Americas, I think, to try and to be missionaries, and things just hadn't gone to plan. There was all kind of cost and suffering involved up until that point and actually beyond it. But then what happened was, was that the Spirit of God came. In some ways, certainly for John Wesley, when he was least expecting it, he felt this strange warmth, as it were. My heart was strangely warmed. And, and that changed everything. And out of that came the Methodist Church and uh, all that we find within the Methodist Church. Because actually, when the Spirit comes, God changes everything. Anyway, enough talk. Let's wait. Let us wait. The psalmist wrote, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. What we're going to do is, um, very simply, and I don't, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, um, but in a moment, oh, do you want to come up now, Chris? Um, we're going to, uh, if you can either stand or sit, it's entirely up to you. And, and we just keep silence for a moment, and Chris will then just play a bit. Uh, and then we're just going to wait. We're going to wait. There's um, one of the most ancient prayers of the church, Latin. I'm going to impress you with my Latin. Veni Sancte Spiritus, come Holy Spirit. Is, that's the prayer we're going to pray. And, and the Spirit comes as a gift. And if you want to, you know, by all means, just hold your hands out as if you're receiving a gift. And we'll see what God does. It may well be that actually he brings peace to anxiety, that he brings healing to sickness. He might bring direction, wisdom, whatever it might be. But we're just going to pray, come Holy Spirit. And then we wait. And then uh, when the time is right, um, we'll um, have a final song. And then if people would like to continue to receive prayer, then you're most welcome to do so. So if you'd like to stand, do stand. But if you'd like to stay seated, that's fine.